we're, we're continuing to look at the Spirit of God. I love Jesus. Jesus is our life. He is our Savior and our Redeemer and our Lord. Had it not been for Jesus, none of us would be here today. None of us would be praising the Lord in His presence today. But thank God that He lives, He lives, He lives. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. We're seeing so much through the Word of God as we've been going from Genesis to Revelation. We've been seeing how how saturated the Word of God is concerning the Holy Spirit and His work and His purpose in our lives. From the beginning, from the foundations of the world. The Bible says Christ was, was, was crucified from the foundation before the foundations of the world. And before the foundations of the world, the Lord knew the Holy Spirit was needed to be, His work and power needed to be into our lives. And we see, as you go through the Word of God, and as the more I study it, the more I look at it, the more I'm amazed at how I see the depth of God's revealing the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is a necessary and needed and a key to our lives. We cannot, according to God's Word, we cannot ignore Him. We cannot live without Him. We need Him and the fullness of His power and operation in our lives, every one of us, on a daily basis. Praise the Lord. And we're going to see as we look today, we're going to look through the, the epistles here. And we're going to see, as, we, as we've seen before, the purpose of the Holy Spirit into our life is to work in your heart, in your mind, all through you to make you, to make us more like Christ in righteousness, in holiness, in our everyday living, in our walk and in our talk. It is Him, the Holy Spirit, who gives us the ability and the power to become Christ-like in all that we do. That is the prayer. That is the cry of our heart. Lord, I want to be more like you. I, I need to be more like Christ. The Bible says, let Christ be formed in you. And how is he formed in you? By the working and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who can form Christ in you. Your neighbor cannot form Christ in you. Your pastor cannot form Christ in you. Your Sunday school teacher cannot form Christ in you. Your best friend cannot form Christ in you. But it is the Holy Spirit's working in us who is able to form Christ in us because He is God. And only God can form Christ in us. We cannot. It is the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit who forms Christ in us. As it says in 1 Thessalonians, I want to look at chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse number 5. It says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. It says here that the Word of God came, the gospel, the good news of Christ. The gospel is what? The focus, what is the focus of the gospel? 
Christ Jesus our Lord, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, who became, who has come to be our Savior, our Redeemer, the glory and the lifter of our head. Jesus Christ came to rescue us. From what? From sin. From our sin. We were not able to escape the penalty of sin on our own. There was no way out. No way out. The law could not deliver us from sin. It could not. So God sent Christ, the Redeemer, the Holy One, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, the Lamb of God, as the Bible says, to become. As John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. John pointed to Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus did for you and I what nothing else could do. And that is the good news. The gospel is that Jesus Christ has come to set you free from sin and death. And to bring to you life and life more abundantly. And so that's the gospel. That's the good news. And he says the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. What does the Holy Spirit do? He comes into our lives. When we hear the word of God, the Holy Spirit takes the word and brings into our hearts conviction. What made us go to the cross? What made us bend our knee to say, Jesus, you are the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world? What, who was, how did that happen? It's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in your life, taking the word of God and quickening it to you to say, this is the truth. And it is the Holy Spirit convicting in your life that made your knee bow and made my knee bow to say, Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. I believe you to be my Savior and my Lord. And so it's not in word only, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to Christ. And not only does He bring us to Christ, once we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit then is able. Jesus is the doorway into your life, the doorway for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit worked upon the people. But when Christ opened the doorway through His death and resurrection, that was the open door for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to bring the power to change you and me, to change us into the way we should live. And it says... And as much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you. Because they were. Who were the apostles preaching the gospel? They were changed men. They were transformed men. They were once one thing, but now that Christ and the Holy Spirit is in their life, they are new creations in Christ. And so they know what you know, what kind of men we are among you. Why? Because their life example, their everyday walk and talk showed that they were changed creatures in Christ. That they no longer were doing what they used to do. They were no longer affiliating with what they used to do. They are new creations. When the world looks at us, do they say they are new creations in Christ? That's how the world should view you and I. But it says, it says, you also, 
talking to the people at Thessalonia in verse 6. You also became, the word there is imitators, followers. The word followers means imitators. It says, you also, Thessalonians, you became imitators of, uh, of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your life not to bring you doom and gloom. The Holy Spirit comes into your life to let you know you are loved. You are a son of God, a child of God. The Holy Spirit comes into your life to make you cry, Abba, Father. We saw that, haven't we? If you've been following the teachings and studying them, the Holy Spirit comes into your life to lift up your head and say, Look up. God loves you. He's your Father. And He cries out, Abba, Father. And not only that, He brings joy into your life. Joy that you are being changed and transformed into the image of Christ. That should bring joy to your life. You shouldn't walk with your head down. Your head should be up saying, Lord, you're at work in my life, making me more like your beloved Son, Christ. And it's not of my own doing or accord. It's because of your work in me. God loves you. God wants to work wonderfully. He wants to give you beauty for ashes, the Bible said. Joy. The Holy Spirit brings joy. The Word says what? The joy of the Lord is my salvation. Who brings it? Jesus said, I pray that your joy may be full. How do we get that? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. He brings the joy of the Lord and He makes it real in your life. In our lives. It's the joy. And how did they receive the word? It says they received the word through much affliction or tribulation. Now, if you understand who he's talking to, he's talking to the Thessalonians. And the Thessalonians was a, was a prosperous place, but it was filled with religious Jewish people. The religious leaders were there, and they were trying to suppress the gospel, the good news of Christ. The gospel came to say Jesus is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Believe on Him and follow Him. The Jewish religious leaders, and they're always the ones, the religious leaders who think they know better than Christ, who think they're above, and they were the ones who were persecuting the new believers in Thessalonia. And some of the Thessalonians were put to death. Some of them were imprisoned because they were believing the gospel. And the religious leaders in Thessalonia were saying that you need to follow and stay under the law. And the disciples were preaching, no, Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. We're free from that. Live according to Christ. And so they were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And he says, but they received the word in much tribulation and suffering. Isn't something? They received the word because they were being persecuted. And, 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 but yet they said the word of God. Wow. Christ. They came to Christ and they were rejoicing in that, in the midst of all of that. And they said, the disciples said, be imitators of us. They were being persecuted. Paul, Paul had to be chased out of Thessalonia. 
others had to be run out because there was so much pressure there. But they said, be imitators of us. And don't let anything in this world drive you away from following Christ, from believing the word of God. Where else does the word says what? What? What shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall all, and there's a whole list of things, you will know it. What? What? What's going to separate me from the love of God? Nothing. Because Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. And trust him, follow him, as they did. And if you go 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4, verse number 8. As in 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4. The Bible here is talking about, uh, look at verse number, uh, verse number 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. What does that mean in sanctification? God has called us as believers to live lives of purity. Sanctification means being set apart for to the Lord, for the Lord. Why did Christ come? To set us free from our sin, but more than that, I mean, beyond that, he sets us free, but now he brings us, he sets us apart as sons and daughters to, to set before God so that God can work through the Holy Spirit in our lives and through the Word, he can make us have a distaste for the things of this world that are impure. God does not want us to drink the cup of impurity. God wants us to drink the cup of purity, of righteousness, of holiness, how do we do that? By turning to the Word of God and looking at the Word of God and say, this is what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God declares. The, God of war, the Word of God will show me what is right and what is wrong. The Word of God will declare to me what I need to, to put my hands to and what I need to let go of. It is the Word of God that sets us apart from the world. The Word of God is our standard, our banner. That is what we, that is our guide, our focus. It's the Word of God. But what enables us to do what the Word of God shows us to do is a power and anointing of the Holy Spirit in us enables us to live for God. And so it says in sanctification, and in verse number eight, therefore, consequently, he who rejects this teaching, this, this teaching of holiness and righteousness is not rejecting man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to us. God makes clear, we are, bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to seek after righteousness. Not on our own strength, because we, none of us here, none of us here, none of us here can do it on our own strength. But God cares about us, loves us enough that he gives us the power and ability in the Holy Spirit to follow after his teachings. But if we choose not to follow that, it says, the Bible says that we, we don't reject man. We don't reject those who are preaching the word, but we're rejecting who? God himself, who's the giver of the word. So God wants us to take his word and receive it with joy and gladness and say, yes, Lord. Change me, transform me by the working of the power of your Holy Spirit and your word in my life. Because that is, he is who we need. It doesn't matter whether you're a student, whether you're a worker in a factory, whether you have your own business. It doesn't matter what you do in life. God wants you to continue to do that. He wants you to be the best student, the best worker, the best whatever you can be in life. 
But God calls us that in this life be in the world, but not of the world. And so we can be in the world and not of it only through the working and the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in verse 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 19, the Bible says uh, here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, it says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for quench means now. Stop putting out the Spirit's fire. Don't resist His influence. It's like trying to smother out a fire. You ever get a fire going and you try to put it out and, and the embers are still going and, and you it just if you just let it go, it starts to poof up again. There it goes again. There the fire's going. It's like, see, the Holy Spirit is hard to put out. God does not want us to put Him out in our life. Quench not the working of the Holy Spirit. What working is He trying to do? He's trying to get us to, to see the Word of God, to see the truth, and to walk in it. And so the Holy Spirit wants to help us to say, no, don't go there, stay over here. Don't touch that, to go here, do this. And so sometimes we resist. We have to resist the working of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, don't give, don't resist the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Because His work in your life is good. His work is not going to make you miserable. His work is not going to make it uh, boring or 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 depressing. That's not God. God is not the God of depression. God is a God of joy and celebration, of happiness, and, and, and He's the glory and the lifter of your head. You know, when the devil wants to try and get you to do something, he's going to drag your head down. But God lifts your head up. And so the working of the Holy Spirit in your life is a good thing that makes your head lift up and say, Ah, what a refreshing thing you're doing in my life, Lord. Oh, it's so good to have your power in me that I can see that my life is changing little by little, step by step, day by day, moment by moment, fellowship time by fellowship time. My life is going in the right direction. We all need that. We're all processes. We're all works in progress. But it says, do not quench. It means stop now, right now. It doesn't mean tomorrow. It means now. What does the Bible say? Now faith is. Now faith is. Now don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't wait until tomorrow to see if the Holy Spirit's real. He is. He is real. Give way to Him. Say, Holy Spirit, yes, work in my life. Come alive in me like never before. Second Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 13. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse number 13. You know, in, in Thessalonians, the focus on, in, in sometimes in Thessalonians is about what they call the rapture, being caught up. It says, then the Lord shall come again with a shout, with the sound of the trumpet, and we will, who are, who are, will be caught up. That's the focus of, you hear a lot of Christians talking about Thessalonians. But he was telling them that don't worry if you're because some of them I told you were being put to death, persecuted. And so they were concerned about those who were being killed because of the gospel's sake. And so Paul was telling them, let the Holy Spirit work in your life to bring you joy and strength. Don't quench him. Let him have his way. And remember, even if they put you to death, the Lord will come again with a shout. Persist in following Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. If you 
look at Thessalonians first and second, it's about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and not to give up, not to quit, not to give in to the persecution of the times or, or, or the people around your life, but persist in allowing the Holy Spirit to set you apart and to sanctify you into doing good and to live righteously, to live differently from the world around you. And here in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, but uh, we, we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Believe in the Word of God. Have faith in God's Word. When you open the Word of God, read it and believe it and say, Holy Spirit, I trust you to help me take this Word and make it real in my heart and make me understand it and let me live it. Allow me to live it. It's the Word of God and the truth of the Spirit of God who, again, sets you apart, separates you from sin, and it separates us to God to know God better and to follow God. Sanctification is a good thing. There's some churches, there's some places that think that make sanctification make it sound scary. That you've got to do this and you've got to crawl on your knees and, and you've got to get a whip and beat your flesh and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. It's not about what you've got to do. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to work inside of you to change you. That is how change comes. Change doesn't come by whipping yourself. Change doesn't come by crawling upstairs on your knees until they bleed. Change doesn't come until you do all kinds of other stuff. Change comes when you allow the Holy Spirit in your life to work what He needs to work, what He wants to work. Say, yes, Holy Spirit. Yes, Holy Spirit. Sanctify me. Set me apart. Empower me to live for your glory, for the glory of God. Go to me with Timothy. We're going to see the same thing in Timothy. Throughout the epistles, the emphasis is on the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to enable us to live godly lives. Godly lives. It's good to live a godly life. It's good. It's prosperous to live a godly life. Hallelujah. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me turn to it. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse number 14. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, in case there's a traffic jam, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. The church, the household of God, is where God wants us to be. This is where the Word of God declares that we are to be, rooted and grounded in the church, in the body of Christ. The word of the church came through Christ Jesus, through the Lord. When, the, when Christ came, he formed the church. The Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. Say with me, the church. Say the church. You are the church. We are the church. Jesus is the head. And God tells us how we are to behave in the church, in the household of God. If you're a son and daughter of God, you're in the household of God. God is the Father. We are the sons and daughters. We are in church, in the household of God. 
We're not in a synagogue. We're not in a temple. We are in the church, the body of Christ, who God has formed and fashioned. And it says in verse number 16, And by common confession, great is the... And without controversy, and that word means common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. What did it mean by common confession? The apostles, everyone, all the believers who believe, confess with one accord these things. That... That he who was revealed in the flesh, meaning Christ, Christ was manifested in the flesh, was justified in the spirit, meaning that when Christ was raised from the dead, they put him to death thinking it was all over. That was it. That he was, uh, that was it. His teachings were nice, but he's dead. But God, Bible says that God raised him by the power of the... We've read this in the scriptures before. I hope you've been looking at the word of God. The Bible says that God raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And so it is the Holy Spirit, the power of God who raised Christ, which justified him, made all his teachings and words to be right. And there he was, the son of righteousness, the God of glory, raised from the dead, justified, grave couldn't hold them, uh, I heard something my wife was teaching there, they tried to put locks and chains on the grave, but it didn't work, Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, he lives and so he, he, he was justified by the Spirit, beheld by angels, seen of angels on that resurrected glorious morning when he set, the Bible says, he set captivity captive. And the angels of heaven rejoiced because Christ set the captives free. Salvation has come to mankind and the angels of heaven rejoiced as they beheld the Lord of glory rise from the dead to live evermore, never again to go unto the grave, but to live and have the keys of life and death in his hand. The King of glory lives, and the angels of heaven beheld him, and the shouts of praise unto God filled the heavens. I'm telling you, heaven is filled with the praise of the Lamb of God, the one who is worthy. And that's why we should be filled with praise and worship of our God, because Christ rose from the dead, beheld, seen by the angels of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Set the captives free. Hallelujah. And he was preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, because as the, and as the word of God has gone forth that Christ is risen, people received it with gladness in their hearts, became born again, and it says they believed on the word, and Christ was received up into glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But chapter 4, verse number 1, it continues. Chapter 3 flows into 1. And it's telling us Christ risen from the dead, seen and praised by the angels. People on the earth believed on the Lord. And it says the word of God went forth. But, but the adversary tries to come around, tries to deceive still tries to to pull people away from their faith in Christ. And it says, Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit speaketh expressly. That word means plainly, in plain language. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to you with words you've got to look up in a dictionary and say, what is he talking about? I can't understand that. I need to get somebody, a, a teacher, a, uh, an educator, to explain this to me. It says the Holy Spirit speaks plainly. 
when the when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, He doesn't speak in some something where you got to go get dictionaries and encyclopedias and say, what was that? What was this? What was that? The Holy Spirit speaks expressly, plainly to your heart to make you understand. God's desire is that you understand, that you know. He's a revealer. And so it says the Holy Spirit speaks plainly. It's not a, it's not a hard to understand. The Holy Spirit speaks plainly. What? That in the latter times, these days, some shall depart from the faith. Meaning they came to faith in Christ. They believed on the Lord of glory. But somehow they were persuaded to go into a different direction. Those who were under the law were continually trying to pull the believers out of grace and under the law. Others were trying to get them into sin. Others were trying to get them into all kind of idolatry. And so there was a constant pull by the father of lies. To pull believers back under the law. To pull believers into idolatry and worship in sinful ways. Some shall depart from faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Anyone who tries to take your faith away from Christ is a deceiving spirit and they're teaching doctrines of the devil. If anything is exalted above Christ, it's a doctrine of the devil. Christ is above all. He's the Lord of glory. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking to Him. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Let no man, no matter how smooth talking they are, no matter how sharp dressed they may be, it's not about man. It's not about a man's understanding or thinking. It's about keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, believing the Word of God and having the Holy Spirit active in you, speaking to you. Because if you're engaged in conversation in your inner man with the Holy Spirit, He will not allow you to be deceived. He will reveal the the truth to you and tell you that this is wrong. Many times when I was a new creation, I'm just telling you, when I was a new believer in Christ, I was going from one from one place to another to another, and it was not good, but I was just born again. And the person, it's a long story, but the person who brought me to the study was saying, you got to go to this study, that study, that study. And as I went from one place to another to another, every place I went to had a different, had a different thing. According to whoever it was that was preaching, they had their own little agenda, they had their own little ideas, they had their own little thing. And I heard this thing here, this thing here, this thing here, and I said, huh? What is this? Everybody's got their own little, uh, little, little, uh, little corner on something. So I opened the Word of God, and I said, I gotta see what the Word of God says. And as I began to open the Word of God, I began to measure what these people were saying according to the Word. And I used to say, this, this, this doesn't, so I didn't know the Word of God. I was a new creation, but I wanted to know the truth. And the Holy Spirit would tell me, I felt something in my spirit that says, this isn't right. And I said, I'm not going back there. I'm not subjecting myself to that stuff if it doesn't sound right. Because you know what happens? If you keep submitting yourself to, to something that's wrong or deceptive, you'll wind up believing it in the end. You'll be deceived. When you hear something that doesn't sit right, get out right away. Go. And sit where the Word of God is preached. That's why the Bible says, the Bereans, they went home and searched the Scriptures to see if what was being taught was according to the Word of God. 
Don't follow a man. Don't follow a woman. Follow Jesus, the living Word of God. But you must have the Holy Spirit active in your life. You must be engaged with Him so that the Word of God will keep you in proper truth, being a workman, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Because the Holy Spirit says, some will depart from the faith, being seduced by seducing spirits. And seducing spirits are not nasty. They come with a smile, with flattering, with flattering pats on the backs, and they come, they come making to think that they, they, they got it all together. That's how they seduce you. And if they get you to listen once and twice, next thing you know, you're falling into their trap, into their snare. The Bible says they're seducing spirits, and they teach doctrines of devils, speaking lies. Scroll up, Lindsay, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving by them which believe and know the truth. God said to Peter, he put down a sheet and he says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, not me, Lord. Those are unclean things. God said, Peter, kill and eat. And God was talking about animals, not people. God said, kill and eat. God never said to kill and eat people. God says, kill and eat, Peter. And he says, no. But there's people who would continue to try to teach believers that you've got to be abstained from certain meats. And the Bible says, that is the doctrine of devils. Seducing spirits to pull you out of grace and mercy into bondage, into law. And the Paul says, stay away from that. Get out of that. They're seducing spirits. Live in the mercy and grace of Christ Jesus who's come to set you free. And he, and he goes on to, to, to say all that. So the Holy Spirit is there to help you stay in the truth. God wants you to stay free. God doesn't want you to... Once He set you free, God came and set the, broke the chains of bondage over you, and He does not want you to go back into prison. He does not want you to be chained up again. He does not want you to be duct taped. He doesn't want you to be carried away by strange doctrine. And so what does He do? He gives us the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us discern what is right, what is wrong. And as we fellowship together with a body of believers, we begin to search the Word of God. We begin to see that the Word of God tells us that Christ is the glory and the lifter of our head. He is the author and finisher of my faith. And in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, just give me a few more minutes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You see, what does the Holy Spirit do within us? He helps us to overcome fear. There's so many things in this life that makes us fearful, that can make a person fearful. Because we're human, we all, we all experience the same things. And there's things that come into your life that may start to bring fear upon you. And what does fear do? Fear tries to come against faith. And it tries to, to, to make you fear something. But the Spirit of God says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Why? 
God has given us a spirit that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your path straight. He will bless you. He will pour out provision upon your life. So God's Word says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack for any good thing. I shall not worry. He's he's my Father. The Lord is my shepherd. God has given us a spirit, the Holy Spirit, that makes us cry, Father, I trust you. You're a good Father. You're a good provider. You are a wondrous Lord of glory. I trust you. And if you trust your Father, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who's the creator of all of this, what? whom shall I fear? The Bible says, whom shall I fear? So God's Spirit gives us a spirit of boldness and courage. What did He say to Joshua? Joshua, be strong, be bold, be courageous, be of good courage. Fear not. David, when you face that giant, fear not. When you face the lion and the bear, fear not. When you go through the waters, you will not drown. When you go through the fires, you will not be burned. Why? You trust God. I don't fear. We don't walk in foolishness, but we don't fear. He's given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of power. And what have we been saying about power of the Holy Spirit? Power to overcome sin. Power to overcome the things of this life that would hinder your relationship with the Lord. His power is a power to keep you in the love and the grace and the mercy of God. His power is able to keep you separated from the impurities of this world. His power is able to keep you walking that straight and narrow pathway with the Lord. Power and of love. As we said today, the Holy Spirit doesn't cause you to argue with one another. There's nothing wrong with healthy debates, but He does not cause us to hate or despise one another. The Spirit of God causes us to love. Say love. One another. And of a sound mind. Because when the Holy Spirit is at work in you, He brings peace to your mind. What does the Bible say? That He gives us a peace that passeth all understanding. And the Bible says, His peace that passeth all understanding shall guard. You know what a guard does? You heard, you heard this morning, they set a guard over the tomb. Ain't nobody going to enter here over my dead body. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He sets a guard over your mind. God wants you to have a sound mind. Because the enemy will try to come to throw all these kinds of doubt and fears and all these other stuff. But God says, "Uh uh-uh, no way. My Holy Spirit is going to help them as they stay in the Word in relationship with me. They're going to have a sound mind. You're going to know. You are loved, the Father God. He's watchful over your life and He's keeping you in the right pathway. So he's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of, of sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.14. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse number 14. 
What does it say? Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. This word keep in the Greek is guard. Guard through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to protect you. He is your protector. He is your comforter. He is the one who gives you the ability to guard what God has deposited in your life. Real quickly, Timothy, Titus. Go with me to Titus. The next book over, Titus. And I pray you write these verses down, listen to it again, because we need to understand and grasp all that God, His love, wants to do in us and is doing in us through the working of the power of His Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, verse number 4. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, making us new creations, and renewing by the... Can't we just cut the Holy Spirit out of the Bible? God forbid. God forbid. It is the working of the Holy Spirit who is so prominent throughout the Word of God. You do a study, as we've been doing, and you see how thoroughly, how thoroughly immersed the Holy Spirit is throughout the Word of God. And how important His purpose is in your life, my life. We need Him. We need the operation, the active operation of the Holy Spirit. We need to be actively engaged with the Holy Spirit. What does He do? It's, he's continually making us that new creation Stay new. He's continually regenerating our minds, our thoughts, and all that we do. He's the one that keeps us in, in all of those things, not by works of righteousness. And quickly, just let me go through Hebrews. I just want to just quickly go through here. I want to write this, write this, write this verse down. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. I want you to take that, write it down and take it home and look, look at it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. I want you to write that down. Because the Bible says, Therefore the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of the trial of witness. It's the Holy Spirit who's saying, Don't harden your hearts. Hebrews 6, 4. Go to that verse with me, Lindsay. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 4. Let's look at that as we go through that. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. The Bible says that we are partakers of the Holy Spirit. He is the power of God. Taste the Word of God. It is good. And the Holy Spirit makes it alive in us. 
We don't have to pray, come Holy Spirit. He's already in us. We are partakers. And He's the one that helps to keep us in the right road. And I just would just, let me give you to this one. Hebrews chapter 10. There's, write, wait, write these verses down. Hebrews 9, 8. Hebrews 9, 14. Hebrews 10, 15. And I want to look at Hebrews 10, 29. Those are all verses talking of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews is a powerful, powerful book concerning the Spirit of Christ, the grace of God, taking us out of the law, taking us out as Christ being the only sacrifice, the end of all sacrifices, that He alone was sacrificed once. Hebrews chapter 10. And with this, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. Look at verse 1 from chapter 10. I just want you to look at verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect through those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the roll of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. For after saying, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. He says, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first, the law, in order to establish a second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and time the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us after saying, This is a covenant that I will make with them. After those days, the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind I will write them. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Since, therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. And let us us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And in verse number 29, How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? He's talking there about Christ being the one sacrifice for sin, the new covenant. He is the one we are to look to, the author and finisher of our faith. We are not bound by law. We are not bound by chains. We are not bound by anything but the mercy and grace of our Lord to love Him and to know Him. And it is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, don't insult the Spirit of grace, thinking that you can work your way to God by bypassing Jesus. Don't think you can bypass the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ, the blood of Christ, and get to God any other way. That's insulting the spirit of grace. The Bible said it is Jesus who is to be glorified. Jesus is to be looked at as the author and finisher of our faith. Follow him. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. And so I want to, we want to come to the table of the Lord this morning.